Self-obsessed. This is Jeff Grace, comedian, filmmaker, and self-help obsessive. Uh, I just got finished doing a really fun uh, interview over at the studio school here in downtown LA, over at LA Center Studios, a school I used to teach out of college. I used to teach acting over there, and um, I used to teach a bunch of dancers uh, in the professional dance program, uh, along with uh, people studying acting and directing and such. But uh, I thought it'd be fun for them to hear from Heather Morris, who you guys might know from Glee. She was also in Spring Breakers. She was one of Beyonce's dancers on tour for three years. And we had a really interesting conversation about kind of her rise to, to kind of rapid fame. She sort of went through a little bit of a that Glee mania um, that went on where they basically were either shooting the show or on tour for several seasons straight. Sort of the uh, closest thing to Beatlemania experience in the last probably decade or so and uh we had a really good talk about her ups and downs in that process and that will be out in a couple weeks this week we talked to pt money uh personal finance guru he has the uh very very popular blog called ptmoney.com and he basically talks about personal finance he does a lot of experiments in that space and if you guys are looking to get your money in order maybe even neglecting your finances uh this is a really good one to listen to i will warn you guys that we recorded this at the Podcast Movement, which is the uh, largest podcast convention in Philadelphia that I attended with the guys from OLD Network, which is where we sort of uh, got our, our feet wet and uh, what kind of uh, podcast we wanted to do here. So there's a little bit of background noise that you'll probably get used to after a couple minutes, but it's not your it's not your audio system that's uh, betraying your ears. That is a uh, crowded room full of people in a convention hall that we're recording in. Maybe next time we won't record in a crowded convention hall. Sorry about that. That was one of the first ones we recorded. Um, if you guys missed last week, we had Mark Webb on, director of 500 Years of Summer, Spider-Man. Really interesting talk with him, kind of talking about his uh, unique path to becoming a, a, a full-fledged studio uh, director. And then uh, in the next couple of weeks, we have a lot of interesting guests. Good friend of mine, Kevin Brennan, will be on in the weeks to come. He is the... Los Angeles karaoke guru. So if you've ever been wondering how to up your karaoke game or how to get the courage up to become a karaokeist, I think that's a word, uh, that will be coming up soon. If you guys are digging the podcast, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your podcast app of choice is and uh, leave us uh, a review, hopefully a decent review. Um, and also leave comments there, what guests you want to see, what things we can do better, what things that we're doing well, perhaps if I may be so bold. Um, and without any further ado, PT Money. Hello, welcome to Self Obsessed. I am here at Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. Our guest today is Philip Taylor, otherwise known as PT, founder of PT Money and the very successful FinCon, one of the uh, largest financial, personal finance conventions in the country, correct? That's it. Awesome! Thanks um, for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for being on. I now I know your podcast or, or sorry your blog from listening to Optimal Living Daily and Optimal Finance Daily, and sort of uh, over the years just kind of caught some uh, of your your blog and your blog posts. Sure. And, um, I thought for the people that don't know who you are, maybe you give us a little background. I, I know that you were an accountant turned 
personal finance blogger slash uh, conference uh, FinCon <laughs> runner. That's uh, it. How, how did that transition happen for you, and, and how did you get interested in personal finance? Yeah, absolutely. First off, thanks for uh, to old podcast for you know playing my episode or playing my blog post, and then thanks for reading them and checking them out mm. or listening to them and checking them out. I no, definitely. Say. No, it's helped, yeah. helped a lot for me. So PT Money started in 2007, and it was really just out of a passion for personal finance. The topic was big on my mind because I had just gotten married, thinking about having kids. Uh, thinking about owning a house, you know, the, kind of the normal life stuff that starts coming mm-hmm. at you. And I realized that, you know, my CPA career before that hadn't necessarily adequately prepared me for my personal finances. Um, so it's one thing to help another business with their money and to audit it or do right. taxes. But when it comes to your own money management, specifically like the stuff like debt, how much you should carry, mm-hmm. how to get rid of it, uh, how to live within your means, those things really are kind of hard to teach. Right. And it just, it, it, I was a spender naturally coming up. Uh, even though my dad was a CPA as well, we just didn't talk about money necessarily directly in that way. And so I didn't have the skills, the strategies and tactics in place to be a good saver yet. And so it was through discovering folks like Dave Ramsey, other right. personal finance bloggers that really pulled me out of this corporate finance world and into the personal finance world and said, you know, this is this is something you got to fix in your life. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we share that back. I was an economics major. And like you, I didn't. I didn't pursue economics. I pursued marketing, and you know, eventually that led me to the you know world of entertainment I'm in today. But weirdly, I, I knew the Laffer curve. I knew macro, microeconomics, but I never was taught by my parents or at any class, you know, grades one through twelve or college. You know, you know, base, just basics of how much should I be saving. You know, yep. even the concept of like paying my bills on time to, to make my so my credit would be good. None of that was apparent to me, even while I was doing pretty well at investing my money in like, you know, in the initial dot-com boom and things of that nature. But uh, so even now, I mean, I'm like, you know, 40 plus and I'm just figuring it out for the first time. And, um, you know, so I'm really interested to talk to you today about what, you know, what you've learned because you, you've really been at the epicenter of this personal finance movement. I think a lot of people are realizing they got to take um, matters into their own hands. So, so you were um, an accountant which everyone would think, well, how did you not know how to manage your money? Mm-hmm. Um, but you knew how to manage a company's money, I sure. guess is the thing, sure. right? And then you made that transition from, like, at some point you're like, I'm going to put pen to paper and write my first right. blog. How did, how did you get there? Yeah, so I dabbled with blogging in 2001, 2002. I was a, a jogger at the time looking to improve my health, and so mm-hmm. I'd use a, a blog to kind of journal my progress through running and losing weight and stuff. And so I was kind of used to the format, and I started reading other blogs. And so I always was kind of geeky about the Internet mm-hmm. from the early start. So I kind of wanted to be involved with it in some way. I just didn't know what that would look like. But eventually I just got uh, sort of tired of my, you know, kind of what was happening with my corporate and public accounting career and knew I needed to start something on the side. And it was these, this passion for this personal finance topic, specifically reading these other bloggers yeah. who were online sharing their details anonymously, but still sharing like things about their money I'd never heard uh, people talk about. And so I was learning new things. And as, you, as it is, you can only consume for so long before right. you become a creator yourself, right? And so this content, this information was just simply inspiring me to improve my own life, but then to also start sharing my progress and my success with other people. And, uh, you know, I, f- I figured out how to start the blog up, picked out a name and a logo, and just started writing, you know. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a writer, per se, but I was so passionate on this subject, I knew I could come up with some things to talk about. And uh, my my first blog post was 
this is how geeky and kind of silly I was but about the topic. But I, uh, I was deciding whether I wanted to watch the next UFC fight at Hooters or <laughs> at home on pay-per-view. And I did this whole financial analysis to find out which one was more cost-effective for me. And <laughs> so what, that's kind of what where one out? Was it uh, at home or at Hooters? I think it depended on if you had friends at home or not. So if you had friends you were inviting over and you were splitting the cost with them, it worked out at home. What's the like marginal utility per friend, uh, I guess? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a 2.5 or something. So. Yeah, and I mean, for you, um, when you're starting off in this world of personal finance, you know, there's I feel like there's a lot in the world of personal finance. We talked about this the other day. There's a lot of... I think a lot of people out there that are using personal finance as a tool to make themselves rich. Mm-hmm. Like I think the number one, often I feel like the number one, uh, you know, get rich quick kind of tutorial is like basically telling you to start a get rich quick tutorial. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like let me tell you teach you how to get rich, and then you buy the book, and it's like start a, a you know a, you know some sort of network that tries to get people to get rich, and it's like wait how this can't go on forever. And, yeah. Um, but through a lot of the you know through your blog and through a lot of others, there's a lot of people now I think that are. Just giving out the information for free. Sure. Um, that are, are sharing their experiences. Like Ramit Sadie, I think, is someone that we share as um, that for me was someone that really boiled it all down to something I could manage and comprehend and, and, and also trying to automate things, which is super important. Yep. When, so when you're starting off, I mean, obviously, if you're comparing Hooters to ordering the game at home, you know, that's a kind of a saving money strategy. What were some of the things early on that you're like, oh, wow, had big impact for you um, in the personal finance world? Meaning uh, blog posts and stuff I wrote or, on, or just even your personal experience. If you're like, right. you know, things that you started going, oh, I better start doing this, and oh, oh wow, I'm saving money. I mean, did you gotcha. start budgeting? Did you yeah. start? Um, yeah. So big for me was automating my savings, and Ramit talks a lot about yeah. this, and so I follow a That's similar huge. pattern of of you gotta you gotta you know get it set up to where you're hacking your ability to save money, and so like I said, I'm a spender. And so if the money's in my checking account, it's going to find a way by the end of the month to be gone from that place. And so I needed to learn how to pay myself first through automatic savings uh, transfers over into either a checking or savings account or in some type of Roth IRA. I think I opened up a Roth IRA at that time. Um, And so automating those, those, as soon as my paycheck hit my accounts, those automations would happen. And uh, so then from that point forward, it was like just spend the rest of the money freely because you know... You're paying yourself first, and you're sort of yep. taking care of that out of the way, and then the you know you don't have to think about it or budget. I've never been really a budgeter necessarily, right? So I just try to make sure I plan for my spending. Sorry, plan for my savings first, and then uh, the budgeting takes care of itself because I'm just literally spending what's left. Yeah. And at the time, I was not doing credit cards, so that was easy. Um, so if you're having you know if you're having trouble with spending and you're not bringing in a lot of income, I would say. You know, hold off on the credit cards so you get a kind of a handle on that. And that was something I was doing. Um, yeah, so you weren't in major debt. Uh, coming yeah. at, you had a, good, a job that paid yeah. you enough to kind of spend what you wanted, but yeah, you weren't had, saving at the same time. I had a little bit coming out of college. I carried a little debt, mm-hmm. uh, maybe about $2,500, so not much. Not too bad, yeah. Yeah, and I got that knocked out with my first big job. But I did have some student loans um, and then uh, a car note as well. And so my wife, when my wife and I got married in 2006, we both had student loans and car notes. And so we spent the first three years of our marriage, even though we were both working, living on one income. So we chose to live off of one of our incomes, and then we used the, other, the rest of the money to save and pay down the rest of that debt. Wow, so okay. in that three-year period, we were debt-free. And that just happened to coincide with essentially 2006 to about 2009, and that allowed me to make the leap to full-time entrepreneurship because I had my finances fixed wow. you know, during that three-year period. So you quit the accounting job. Yep. In 2010, it was 
spring of 2010, I left uh, my accounting work and went to become a full-time blogger. Yeah. So in about eight years' time, you started the blog, and then eight years later, you're able to leave your accounting job behind. And uh, did you take a financial hit to do that, or was it, um, you know, was it a bit of a step into the wilderness, or did you feel pretty confident at that point that you were gonna? Yeah, the be blog okay? was making about probably 3,500 a month. So it was wow. about half of what I was making with my take-home salary. Mm-hmm. And by that point, my wife had quit her job to stay home with my, our kids. So we really took a big hit. So we, we were living lean at that point. But I had just decided that I loved this and this blog and this new business opportunity through it. And uh, I just wanted it 100% to be what I did with my time. And so I was willing to make that sacrifice. Like I said, we had fixed our financial life. So there were no debts hanging around. We had some savings as an on-ramp. And I'm a CPA, and so I felt a little comfortable that if if and when I needed to jump back into a career, yeah. I'd probably be able to do that, at least do taxes, you know, for somebody. But uh, it was just time, you know. I think every entrepreneur kind of, if they're as conservative as I am, they may go into a career field, they may go into, um, a, you know, a typical job and work for someone else for a while. But there comes a time where it's just like the pull is just too strong. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll take the risk, and I'll get out there and do it and let the chips fall, you know. I just happen to do it when... I just got married and had a baby, so it was like super risky wow, for me. Okay. But yeah, you have uh, some cojones there. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I, my background similar. I, I was working in a corporate. I was working in an ad agency in Chicago. Was making a steady paycheck. I, I never was in debt because I was always making more than I was spending. But I wasn't totally. Uh, actually, I was saving pretty well then too. But then I left um, that world behind to become a full-time comedian, actor, awesome. eventually filmmaker. But the same kind of thing, you know, probably living off of a third of the salary I was used to. And that's really when my financial life started to spiral out of control because I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't getting a paycheck every two weeks that I could, that automatically went to an IRA. And so my finances were very automated and when I was in a corporate sector, because there's a lot of, you know, they, they will set that up for you. And then when I was on my own, I started, well, dipping into my own savings. I had saved a lot while I was in advertising. And then over probably like 10 years, I probably, I probably went through $100,000 of my own savings and I looked at it as sort of like, well, it's an investment in myself as a, you know, I'm not going to uh, go to like film school, uh, but I'm just going to slowly bleed out this savings. But then at some point I was bleeding it out as I'm getting closer to 40. And then you're looking at, you know, like, you know, and so it's put me in a position where I really have to like get smart about that. It's part sure. of my motivation to start this podcast is that awesome. personal finance is a big pillar of, of things I'm. I want to. I want to get smarter at. I want to help. Hopefully, help the listeners get smarter at. So we we share that uh, that dive into the wilderness to uh, yeah. do something more entrepreneurial. And and uh, did you guys have to really like tighten uh, the belt in terms of like how you're spending? Um, you said you're a big spender. What kind of stuff were you spending money on? <laughs> well, by then in my life, I was twenty. I was I was thirty years old, and so mm-hmm. I felt like I'd kind of purchased everything I needed to purchase in my life, you know, and had done that and felt that feeling of having stuff. You know, and so I was kind of over that. I, th- I think, you know, people have to go through that phase where mm-hmm. they have stuff or need stuff and they get it and they're like, okay, it's maybe not as cool having stuff as I thought it was going to be. And so maybe I don't need as much stuff. Some you sharper know? image stuff in there or like... Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it got to a point to where I just realized in my family and me being able to work on my business were far more important than any other thing I could get. So we got really lean. Um, and then I, th- I think something... Uh, I chose to do also was was add another side hustle on. Mm. So when I had my corporate gig, uh, the blog was my side hustle. And then when I went to full-time blogging, I took on some additional side hustles. Um, and so, you know, I just tried to 
kind of hammer it with a lot of income as well, the additional side hustling income, freelance writing, blog editing for other people. So wherever I could find a dollar, man, I was going to find it. Yeah. Uh, because I wanted this dream of me being solo and having no more Mondays to work out. And so I was kind of willing to do whatever it took, you know, at that point. And, and when eventually, you say no more Mondays, is that basically no more standard, you know, Monday through Friday job? That's right. No more hating Monday morning. Yeah. You know, that, that time where I have to get up and go to work. Like, just no more of that. So that, once I had a taste of that, I didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to lose that. So I did whatever it took. And that was staying lean for a while. We have had some ups and downs through the years, but I've started additional businesses. I started FinCon. Yeah. Um, and luckily, you know, I've had those additional streams of income. And so they've just helped to prop up whenever we've had low times. But you know, it's uh, it's been a good run. So, were there any moments where you did go, "Oh my gosh, maybe I'm, maybe I bit off more than I can chew. Maybe I was too confident in this pursuit." I know I felt that way, right? Maybe I need to go back to the conventional job. Yeah. Um, it it yeah. happened right out of the gate, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Six months into it, we got pregnant with our second baby. Oh man! And at that point, we had purchased individual health insurance on the open market in Texas. And at that time, you know, there was no Obamacare, so it didn't cover mm. uh, maternity. Oh, wow. So we were staring down a thirty, thirty-five $35,000 uh, health insurance bill wow. at that point, or, or medical bill at that point. And so... I don't think I knew that. I don't have kids yet, so I don't. I didn't realize it was that expensive to have a child. Yeah. So in, in Texas, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't include it in individual plans, mm. or they didn't back then. And so... Uh, you know, we worried, and I did start actually applying for some jobs, thinking, "Well, I at least need to go to work somewhere to get health insurance." Right. Isn't that sad that I would? Here I am, a successful entrepreneur, making pretty good money, but feeling like even like just that thirty, forty thousand dollars was gonna was gonna put Change so much of a ding in your life yeah. that I that I should probably you know go back to uh, you know to a job, and so maybe that says something about how how prepared I really was, you know. Right. Um, eventually, I didn't get a job because I was terrible in all the interviews because I think they could just tell I was not really into not, it. No, my heart wasn't into it. But uh, I did uh, do some taxes that next spring for my father's CPA firm. Okay. And, and thank goodness for Dad. He put me on his health insurance plan for a few months there, and we were able right. to have the baby on the health insurance plan. So um, Yeah, the uh, I, I had the same exact problem. I was health insurance all my life. I didn't really, you know, I've always had a job at a company that provided the health insurance. Sure. And I remember when I quit my job at Leo Burnett, did you ever go through this thing where they, they go, well, you can go on Cobra. Right. And you're like, oh, well, that'll be, that'll be great. And you could do it for like two years. And then the first Cobra, you know, estimate comes and it's like, for me at the time, and I was a 28 year old, no, I was 32 years, two, 32 years old and it was going to be $420 a month. <laughs> I was like, how am I a healthy, <laughs> I'm a healthy guy. I don't have any health history at all. And it's yeah. before, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, not to get political on it, but I think like at some point we have to find a way to make health insurance something that we don't have to all worry about. Sure. Because um, it really does actually make it harder to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Uh, I think you know if we can find a way to make it so that everyone's got at least a base level of health insurance. Because for me too, that was the, one of the big scares. I was like, oh man, I didn't realize how much my company was covering the health yep. insurance. And a big part of it is your company can negotiate a lot better than you can on your own. Um, but Cobra, I've never heard anyone that's actually signed up for Cobra because it's always so expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I opted out of it as well. And uh, yeah, you're right. The employer-based plans have done people a, a service for a long time in terms of being able to afford their health insurance. Yeah. But now that more people are solo, more people are you know having uh, out there on their own, or, or companies are dropping it, you know, so it's becoming more of a challenge. So that's that's something that hopefully technology and other 
open market solutions hopefully can can yeah. um, provide for but it, them. But it is a good thing for people that are jumping out into the world of entrepreneurship to, to really make sure they estimate that correctly because that might yep. be your single biggest expense after your rent. Um, and your rent's pretty easy to figure out, but health, you know, health insurance is always a bit of a mystery. Yep. Every visit to the doctor is always like, so you can't tell me what my CAT scan's gonna cost? It's just gonna be, I'm just gonna find out as a surprise? Right. Great. Um, so you guys, so you did, you had a few moments of, of maybe we'll call it self-doubt, and then was there a breakthrough moment for you? Was there a, um, a moment in which you, things turned the corner? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially it came down uh, ultimately for th- the business taking off. You know, I hired a consultant to help me out with, with that piece of it. So with PT Money, we started just doing better simply. And, and income improved everyone's lives and everyone's situation. So yeah. the business improved. And uh, from, from that point forward, I've been able to continue contributing to you know, my retirement accounts and uh, push ourselves forward as a family. So yeah, it's been good. It's great. And, and the freedom from success from that first business, you know, allowed me to add on FinCon. Uh, a second business later. Was FinCon, when you added that on, most businesses, right, you expect to lose money your first year yeah. or maybe your first three or four years. Was that the kind of business that you had to kind of take a loss at first or was it successful right off the bat? Yeah, because PT Money was doing great by that point, I I just had the idea for FinCon and I just wanted to do it whether yeah. it made money or not. You know, and so I went into it. For the listeners at home, will you just give them a little brief summation of what FinCon is? Yeah, FinCon is a, started off as the financial blogger conference eight years ago. And it's a place for basically people who blog or podcast or do YouTube channels about personal finance and investing online for them to come together and talk shop. Yeah. And talk a little money as well, but mostly just talk digital marketing. And we have an annual event each year and we have a community that rallies around a Facebook group and some other resources as well. So it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, we're at, you know, the podcast movement. In, in theory, these are all people that are actually competitive with one another, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it's funny that you'd think, why would a bunch of competitors want to get in the same room and talk shop? I mean, wouldn't that be the opposite of what you'd think? But it is sort of a, a nice community that you create and it, it sort of speaks to the sort of sharing yep. and sort of this idea um, you know that we're not. It's not. Not everything's a zero sum game. That that there's abundance out there. Uh, not to get too woo woo. Uh, sure. The secret, but you know that that you think that these are people that wouldn't want to meet. Uh, they wouldn't want to like you know someone to find out how they're doing their search engine op- optimizations. Sure. Or um, did you find that kind of refreshing? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's that was what led me to have the event to begin with because these people were sharing with me online in our forums and social. Uh, and, and, and commenting on each other's blogs, basically helping each other along. And so I think for us early on, it was it was us versus the big corporate media versus big uh, traditional finance for a long time, uh, us kind of versus the world. And so yeah. we all saw each other as upstarts and helping each other. And then it became kind of a larger thing of, well, we're all really in it to help people with their money. Yeah. Financial literacy, illiteracy is a huge problem. Right. And... The unique per- personal finance is like no other niche in that people need to hear personal stories about what's going on with their money because they're not they don't you don't get to hear that from your neighbor from your family members you don't get to hear real personal finance stories and so this community of the FinCon community really they're the weird people on the online talking about money yeah you know and so when they get together it's like there's a huge bond that happens because of that and because they all feel like they're fighting this bigger enemy. They're, they have no problem sharing with each other. It's fantastic. And that's what led me to start the event. And I've tried to foster that sort of collaborative spirit as we move forward. Yeah. And how, how did you go about, I mean, you had some pretty big speakers right off, right off the bat. 
was that because you knew these people? Did they know you from your your blog? Yeah. Um, did you have any um, did you have any secrets you'd share for someone like how? Because you know, like I work in the film business, right? And a lot right. of times my friends will they'll be wanting to you know they'll write and direct their first movie and I'm, and they'll always be afraid to go out to a big star. Yeah. But you know, to me, I'm always like, just do it, ask because if they say no, that's no skin off your back. Sure. But people won't even ask for the right. big star. They go, well, maybe maybe I'll just have my friend Dave act the lead part. I'm like, but I think you could get George right. Clooney. Why not ask? You know, right. and uh, I don't know, what, is that kind of what your philosophy was? or Yeah, so I was definitely like a B-list blogger in this space right. you know, when I first entered it. So I didn't necessarily know everyone, but there was a, a group that I was collaborating with and I sort of knew of everyone enough to, I think, make the ask. And I think the way I positioned it was I'm going to make them the star. It wasn't the PT Money Show. It wasn't going to be my conference. It was going to be our conference. And so I think if you approach a project where it's an open-sourced idea and very collaborative in nature like that, I think people are more willing to listen and just say, well, no, I don't want to do something that just benefits you. You know, If it's all for all of us, yeah, cool, yeah. I'll join in. And so that was kind of the approach I took. And, yeah, I reached out to the godfather of personal finance blogging, Mr. J.D. Roth over at Get Rich Slowly. Yeah. Um, and then on the digital marketing side, I reached out to a, a young guy back in the day called Pat Flynn, who's now like a huge success in the digital marketing space. Um, but I caught him early back then, and he, he did our first uh, our closing keynote, but that was his first keynote experience ever. Um, so I, I try to catch people early on in their careers, and I still continue to try to do that. Um, but uh, I think it was all about you know positioning, you know, and, 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 and allowing it to be perceived as kind of an open sourced idea. And I took that all the way up into the conference. So I did surveys, I did polling, I asked, did an email list, and I asked people how, what they wanted at the event. I opened up the speaker submissions and had everyone submit their ideas. So I, I really opened up the process so that when people got to the event they kind of felt like it was theirs, like they yeah. had to help make it and they owned it. So if I can, if I have two pieces of advice for event planners, it's, it's throw a party for people who already want to be together and then B, uh, or two, you know, let them participate in the process so they'll feel like they own it when they show up. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, that's very, uh, very similar to the film business. You know, we have, we have film festivals, which are really just fancy name for a conference. Sure. And the only difference is we show films at them and then people hang out, but Again, these are all people that should be competitors with one another, but you're actually there sharing with other, your fellow directors, fellow actors, you know, tips, traits, you know, how to not get scammed, all those kind of things that we all go through. And and, uh, and so there's a lot of similarities. And it's it's been, you know, this is my first time at the podcast movement. And again, I'm this is a brand new blog. You know, you were willing to give me some information. Everyone here is like, oh, do this, do that. And a lot of times it's with people that are in the same space that I want to get into. And... They don't see it as a threat. They think this is a you know a growing pie, and you know obviously podcasting is still in its infancy. And I think probably to some extent, personal finance has a long way to go because you know we have a country with a, a negative savings rate. Sure. Clearly, we need to do a better job of getting people educated younger. Um, and and the, and the sad thing is, there's a lot of financial institutions out there that don't want us to actually manage our money well. Right? It's it's better for Citibank or for Chase if we're kind of mismanaging our money for just paying off the minimum of our credit cards, um, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of forces at play here that could really hurt the little guy. Sure. I like to say they're, they're, they protect themselves on the downside. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think ultimately they want a good customer, but they're going to get money from you either way if you're right. good or bad. But, but yeah, uh, the financial industry is, is turning over 
because um, you know people are choosing to take control of their own finances. And that ha- you're right, that hasn't necessarily played out in some of our larger economic demographics, savings rate, things like that. But um, I feel a tide turning. I feel like because you know fewer people have access to a 401k or a pension, fewer people trust financial firms in Wall Street. They are turning to you know public information to try to find out how to manage their own money. And I think that's a healthy thing. Ultimately, we can't turn over the process to someone else. I mean, there can be people to help you along the way, but you've got to own it. And uh, that's, I'm a firm believer of that. And so sometimes that takes people to go through a negative experience, kind of like I did with a little debt coming out of college and struggling for a little bit to want to take time to then, I need to understand this and move forward with my life. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of healthy. Sure, there's probably education and, and more things, institutions that are in power could do to educate people kind of at the right moments, you know, when they're about to buy a house or when they're about right. to take out that student loan or whatever. But sometimes just people aren't receptive in that moment, you know, and they've got to, they've got to be, some people like me have to be kind of hit across the head with the financial screw up, you know, to kind right. of fix it. So. Well, that's true. I feel like a lot of people, like, you know, alcoholics, right? They need to have that rock bottom. And for a lot of people with finance, it's a rock bottom of some yep. sort of... Um, in fact, for me, I think the hardest problem was I had a job that paid me more than I spent on average for the first 10 years of my life. So I never understood how to... I never lived with the scarcity of, you know... I never had that, you know, eating ramen out of the box for the right. whole month because I only had $100 in the bank account. And so when I got... When I jumped out into a world that was a little less structured... And my income was super variable. You know, some years you'd make, you know, a hundred thousand, and the next year you'd make twenty thousand. And, oh. and you know, to manage that money That's tough. Uh, is tough. And um, so, yeah, I'm still trying to build those tools that make sense for, uh, you know, one thing about the personal finance space is a lot of the people that talk, you know, most personal finance authors have total flexibility of their schedule and or, and have total control over it. So sometimes when you hear people in the personal finance space be like, "Well, just do this and that, and then spend every Monday morning just doing this," and you're like, "Well." But I have a full-time job, or yeah. my, my schedule's not like that. Um, but here, I, I want to go through kind of like on Self-Obsessed, I like to talk to people about what are sort of your um, self-improvement uh, regiments or habits or routines. Um, kind of starting like when you wake up in the morning, are you a, a task list guy? Are you a goal setter, a journaler, a meditator? I just want to get a sense of what you do in your personal life to kind of keep you going towards the goals that you set. Sure, sure. Whenever I... Well, you know, I really enjoy my my businesses, and so those both kind of get me out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You know, so I don't have to uh, hack that necessarily. You know, I like what I do, and so I want to get up and start dealing with those issues, start helping those people. So you have a set wake up time every morning? I don't. Okay. I have not set an alarm in a long, long time. <laughs> so, uh, and that's just kind of part of the freedom I allow myself. I'm I'm a night person, so I work into the night, and sometimes I sleep in. Sometimes I get up and help out with the kids. How, how uh, deep into the night are we talking? Um, if I'm really jazzed on something, I'll you know go to two or three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. If I'm just working on a post or working on part of the business, um, I'll just go. And sometimes it takes kind of late night to me for me to catch up with things. Yeah. And I just I enjoy it. So that's not me slaving away or doing something I don't necessarily want to be doing. It's just that's kind of how my brain works. Um, yeah. I get going at night. Get so, into a flow state. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and my wife's more of a morning person. She's like, why don't you read this, uh, what is it, The Morning Miracle by Hal Elrod or whatever? And uh, he's always talking about the, the steps you need to take in the morning. And Is this one of those, I just, one of those get up at 5 a.m. guys? Yeah, or? I just can't get on board. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've, I've tried. I've tried a few times to have more of a routine, but it's just not something that uh, that drives me. So... 
I, I kind of take the inspiration when I have it and I run with it. You know, that's kind of been my, most of my process. So. so you have a variable wake up time. Yep. And then what do you do? do what do you do right upon waking up? Yep. I'm waking up. Uh, I try to drink some water. That mm-hmm. always kind of kickstarts me. Feel good. Um, then I try to, if I'm up with the kids, I'll make breakfast. I'm, I'm captain breakfast around my household. <laughs> um, and uh, get them off to school. We, we get to walk to school. We're just three houses down from the school. So oh, I'll, I'll walk them to school. And then I'll come back. I work two days a week in my home office. And then three days a week, I have a co-working space where I go meet Jessica, the event planner for FinCon. So I still work on both businesses. So Money Friday is uh, PT Money. And then three days a week is with FinCon at the co-working network- space. So, so you have a pretty structured layout to your week. Yeah, I, f- I found I, I didn't used to not have that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, I'd work on PT Money a couple hours and move over to the other business. And that just got to be too chaotic. I needed to actually separate it physically and by days. And that's really helped me to kind of shift my brain to working on one business or the other. Um, so that's been a very positive change. And then I have a nice home office where I've got a couple of desks set up, a stand-up desk, a sit-down desk. That's where my podcasting is done there. And I'll pretty much get going right after the kids are in school and uh, work. I'll try to work, get in a workout if I can throughout the day. Um, and then... Uh, Not, so you don't have a set workout time throughout the day, just kind of when it co- comes available. Yep, yep. yep. And there's times when I'm better than others, so yeah. I'll have it pre-scheduled for the week or whatever. I like Orange Theory, yeah. uh, Orange Theory Fitness. Um, I don't know. Is that an app? No, Orange Theory Fitness is like a group uh, training program where you're all tied into your heart rate, and 30 of you work with a trainer oh, all wow. at the same okay. time over an hour period. Oh, cool. Based on it's a heart rate training, so it's a uh, hit interval stuff. You know. And that's a, like a, a physical place you go to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We store, don't have that little, in LA. Yeah. Little retail storefront. So. Boutique fitness, I think is what they call it, you know. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, do lunch with a, some, a colleague or a, a local friend or with the wife and then uh, spend the afternoon working, maybe be there to pick the kids up. You know, I give a lot, my wife a lot of flexibility when I'm at home so she can go and do things she needs to do. And then uh, we'll shut it down every day at 5. I mean, my wife is a stickler about dinner. Our family has dinner together. i got three kids, and we all have dinner together at, you know, 5.30 or 6.00. And then um, if it's a kind of a datey night, she and I will pick up a Netflix show or something like that. Yeah. If it's not, I'll more likely than not go back to work at like 8.30 or so when the kids are in bed um, and uh, work, you know, two, three hours and see where it goes. So you really, it sounds like you have a real clear boundary of, all right, from five until the kids go to bed, that's their time. I'm not going to let that time get invaded with work. And then if you have to catch up, you'll work later in the evening. That's it. And uh, yeah, I... Sometimes for me, I, have, I find it like, you know, if I wait till do something like at 10 p.m. or, eight, you know, too late in the night, I just don't have the energy to do it. So I'm starting to feel that way. I mean, <laughs> I've all, been shifting to an earlier and earlier. Uh, yeah. I now I now w- wake up at 6 a.m. to write for about two to three hours in the morning. Yeah. Just because, you know, but it's the same thing. It's, it's basically time you know you're not going to have anyone else fighting for your yeah. a meeting or a, a call or something like that. Yeah. Uh, do you use a, a ta- like a task management system or... Uh, yeah, the, the we use Trello and Slack, and so we have our to-do list up mostly in Trello, and then we communicate over Slack and. Discuss and this is projects. a shared Trello uh, yeah, task list. Shared Trello Trello task list for for the event, and then for personal for my for PT money, uh, I essentially just keep that in like a notebook or something like a digital notepad. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't have like a you don't use like a, a task app per se, but tr- I mean if you're like mapping out your day 
do you are you just kind of write down some stuff on a list and kind of no. plug plug through? To be frank, I work off my calendar and my email box, mm-hmm. and I know that they say you shouldn't do that, but at a minimum, I try to move my email items over to my calendar, so I'm not just staring at an inbox all day, but I'm staring at a calendar that at least has somewhat of a uh, an organized list of things on there for me to handle throughout the day. Would you put something like, if you knew you had to write for an hour, would you put that on the calendar? Yeah, block that out. So yeah. your, your calendar is pretty packed then? It is it's really packed, blocked out, when I'm optimizing and doing right. Yeah. yeah. And do you? I, I, this is the stuff I really get into. And, you know, for me, I, I'm like kick-ass one week. I'm like task list and I'm sure. crossing everything off. And then other weeks I'm just sort of like letting life yep. punch me about. Are you feel little same way sometimes same way and uh i we do a lot of traveling my family and i mm-hmm. and so there's just weeks where i can't get to things and stuff starts stacking up and so i'm um, not as optimized as it should be but you know i think we all have those periods you just have to get through them best you can and try to work on things that are uh you know critical important and timely for you and uh work yourself down the list so i re- try to reevaluate every day like what is going i read uh the one thing and I really like that book. I don't know that book. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really helps you to boil down one task a day that's going to mm. be the most important for your long-term success. Um, and it, it's sort of the eat the frog almost yep. kind of methodology. Yep, yep. I've tried that. Yeah, and, and, and it makes you think beyond just the day even. Like not even what's the big frog today, but like what's the big thing for my life. Mm-hmm. And then that's backtrack to right now what I need to do. And so it's it's a cl- big clarifying experience. I've practiced it uh, for a, a few days and weeks re- repetitively, but I kind of go in and out of being good at, you know, sometimes the inbox just demands, you know, I yeah. handle something. So uh, Running a blog, do you have a lot of email correspondence you have to get through from listeners and readers? Yep. Believe it or not, mostly from companies who want to for me to talk about them. So we get tons of PR pitches every day. So, I mean, I'm imagining, like, simple credit card or, you know, someone will be, and, uh, and how do you vet the different people? I mean, do you find that you're sometimes, I imagine you're like, is this a, you know, much like me as a consumer, I'll be like, I don't know why I'm picking out simple credit card. But I see that around, and I'm like, I'm always like, who's behind this? Is this just like a, a nice little sheen coating on top of a standard credit card? Is this a truly revolutionary thing? You right. Know, uh, you know, I've been... I'd love to talk to uh, when we wrap up here about some, some some of your recommendations in the finance personal finance space. But like, um, yeah, what kind of research do you do before you make that jump to endorse somebody? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because um, I am always looking for new products and services to talk about on the site because we have become not just my story about money and tips and tricks and advice, but also kind of a marketplace for people to come and find a great checking account to get going with, find a place to save their money, find a place to get started investing. So we do have that on site. So that's why oftentimes I think I'm pitched by these companies to talk about them and include them in our list. And so what we do is, uh, you know, I I ensure that I meet with the company, you know, so I'm actually talking to a human, uh, do a little research in terms of their background, who's actually owning or controlling the money. Are they FDIC insured? Are, you know, who's, uh, who's in control of the investments, things like that. Um, and so I guess generally get comfortable. I look for them elsewhere. You know, our community is really good about helping to uh, crowdsource, I think, yeah. ideas. And so I'll go to my partners and friends and see, are they writing about this company? Is this on anyone else's radar? Because um, I like to be first, you know, but I don't yeah. necessarily want to be fooled. You know, so I guess that my, my ears are perked up with that. But 
Um, I think after a conversation, that kind of helps. Um, and then I try to talk to them all because even though they may not be a good fit for PT Money and my audience there, uh, they're probably potentially a good fit for FinCon. Yeah. And so, you know, I spend a lot of my time discussing with companies, uh, whether it be for PT Money or potentially sponsoring or exhibiting at FinCon. Nice. And then, um, you know, as we kind of go towards the last half here, do you, um, I wanted to kind of talk to you about, you know, if we have listeners at home, right, who are feeling stuck financially, what are, what are, would be sort of your top five things for yep. them to do, like, right off the bat? Um, I know we talked about automating savings. Would that be your... Sure. I imagine maybe the most, the first step is if you have debt, to start knocking that out yep. in some sort of automated fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I would say, certainly, uh, take stock of where you're at. All right, don't take time to understand where your money is right now, what your net worth situation mm -hmm. is. Net worth is a good way to... Uh, you know, kind of see where you're at, right? It's your financial balance sheet. And um, I would take a look at that, use a tool like a Mint or like a personal capital to plug all your numbers into and kind of understand where you're at. Uh, then I would say make a plan, you know, make a, make a set a priority list of what you want to do. Debt, most consumer debt, uh, if it was used to spend on things that are depreciating or that you've used up, uh, probably not something you should shoot to have in your life necessarily. Right. Um, debt for education, debt for a home, and even debt for a car in some cases, if it's getting you back and forth to a job you need to do, uh, are probably pretty positive debts. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, probably shouldn't have much in your life, and so seek to get out of those. Go to a guy like Dave Ramsey. He's got a great plan to get, get rid of your debt. It's called the Debt Snowball. I definitely recommend that. Once you're out of debt, uh, or, or you've got a plan to get out of debt, Make a plan to start saving. You know, most people, I would encourage to get a savings account, uh, to get an emergency fund built out, three to six months of your living expenses, get that going. And then once you get that up, uh, start the investing process. And so I would look to use your employer-provided plans at first, your 401k, uh, but then open up a Roth IRA on the side or some type of indiv in other individual retirement account um, and uh, move yourself forward in terms of investing. Uh, try to get that savings rate uh, as high as you can get it, live lean, and if you're like me, over a 10-year period, you could really do a lot of damage and positive damage <laughs> and move yourself forward financially and move toward a place of financial freedom. So the idea is that you eventually find yourself in a place where um, you know, you're moving toward a, a passive place where you've got enough money saved so that you could eventually start withdrawing money from that and continue to live on it. So yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of where you want to move. So, so Understand where you're at, set yourself some goals, and then use automation and the tools available to you to kind of help hack that and make that easier as you move forward. So if someone's at home right now, because I think the biggest problem is people usually have a lot of guilt for not managing their, their uh -huh. finances over the, like, you know, that's how I felt. I was like, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I, like, for the last five years, I just sort of, you know, let my money kind of evaporate. I, I sort of was spending too much. And how do you get people to get over that shame or that guilt and just be like, listen, dude, sit down. Maybe, what would you say, carve out an hour, two hours yep. to like really go through sure. like pen and paper, just write down all your, all, you know, because like it, I think a lot of times, even for me, I was like, I even didn't know where some of my money was. I mean, that sounds crazy to say, but I had like a, you know, a 401k. I actually had to like find out where, you know, I, it had like, it, it, I'd escaped it in, in a number of moves. And I was like, I got to figure out how to like log into this account and find out what's there. And then terrified to find out how much it was or was not. And uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you get people to kind of get over that guilt so that they can just start tackling this and, and 
and po- chipping away positively yeah. day, day, like starting today. Yeah, I would say that most people have come from a negative place as well at some point in their life and they move themselves forward, people who have financial success. So don't think that the person with financial success is just landed there all of a sudden, you know, they've yeah. moved themselves there. And so the way I would discover what those stories are is I would go to blogs or podcasts or books for, from authors who have come from a place where they are kind of screwed up. And most of them have, yeah. you know, and they've t- carried themselves forward. And so for me, I resonate with personal stories often. If I read yeah. them and I see myself being able to follow a similar path, then it gives me a lot of confidence. Hey, they were kind of screwed up too, and that's okay. And then they took ownership and started moving forward. And so attach yourself to some of these success stories that are out there that people are sharing. Because you're oftentimes not going to get it from your neighbor or your friend or your relative. So, And it's going to be awkward to have that conversation with them. So tap into someone weird online like me who's not afraid to talk about yeah. money and share their ups and downs and share their failures and see you know their progress moving forward. You know. Yeah, and I think it's, well, I mean, you know, I, I, a book I will recommend, I don't know if you like it, but uh, Remit Sadie's I Will Teach You to Be Rich. It's, it's so great. Which is a, it's a book I avoided because I thought the title made me feel like it was a little bit, it, it's probably one of those unfortunate titles like the uh, four-hour work week. You He's know, constantly defending it, yes. And But, you know, so maybe, uh, you know, he probably would retitle it now, but it's really a book about getting rich slow, you know, and um, I think if someone needs a starter guide to start off with, I think a big problem I had was a little bit of information paralysis. Yeah. Oh, which, you know, I, you know, just pick a plan and start. And I think that's a good, if, as good of anywhere to start, particularly if you're under, I'd say, 35. It seems to be written a little bit more towards millennials. Yeah. I mean, do you have a book you'd recommend for someone later in life that maybe is, uh, maybe, so I feel like his book may not resonate, resonate with someone like maybe over 40. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I like, um, uh uh, anything by David Bach, I really mm. like his stuff. I mean, he, I don't he, know him. He, yeah, he is the automatic millionaire author, um, and talks a lot about basically automating your success toward wealth. And so, I like a lot of David Bach's messages. Um, well, I'm kind of blanking right now, but J.L. Collins has a book out there on essentially early retirement, a path to early retirement. Mm-hmm. That's ultra. If you want to like crank the level up, you know, on yourself, like maybe I can do a lot more with my money. J.L. Collins's book. Uh, I think it's called the simple path to wealth. Yeah, and, and I mean the early retirement side of things. Like, you know, are you familiar like Mr. Money Mustache? Absolutely. Yep. I mean, I don't know if I can live the way he does, but it's inspiring. <laughs> I mean, the guy is frugal beyond frugal. Sure. But he sort of teaches that you can live, you can live a retirement lifestyle, you know, pretty relatively like starting now if you yep. really want to be lean and you know, uh, it's, it's it's I find his his uh, blog to be more inspirational. Yep. So I think only that guy can live so lean. You know. Down to like going to the store to get you know a bucket of grain and you know sure. you know, but um, but the math behind it works at any level. That's what it is. I yeah. consider myself fat fire, meaning I want to I want to be financially independent and retire early, but I want to do it at a really high income level, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but the math is still the same, you know, in terms of the multiples and things. You need twenty five times your annual expenses, and then you can retire. You know, and so figure out what that number is for yourself and then go for it. If for Mr. Money Mustache, he did it at a very lean level. You're right. And he sort of enjoys that practice of frugality yeah. and leanness, which I think there's honor in that. I think there's honor in, like, trying to make most of what we're provided here on earth and be resourceful and, you know, be a person who kind of can pull your own bootstraps up. But Yeah, it's sort of a self-control is what sure, it really is. And sure. that's ultimately, I think, I, I had I worked with a – so my first year when I really realized I needed, it, like, the – to pull the emergency brake on my like finances, I was on a on a bumble date, yep. and this girl. Uh, it was clear we had no sparks together whatsoever. <laughs> but in our date, she mentioned uh, she's like, yeah, I had this woman that like helped me out, and I, I, I you know, she was like two thousand dollars for the year, which was pretty expensive for me. But I needed like 
I just was like, please, someone help me. And she really walked me through um, for the course of a year, like budgeting, you know, just like starting to look at everything, you know. Uh, and it really helped. It took me about a year to start turning this like this boat around to to, to kind of just like look at my money honestly to you know like we were saying 25 times your, your annual expenses that's a good place for someone to start is figure out how much money you need per year figure out that's what you're going to need to retire and then back that number out to where you are now and start sure. like because it's a pretty and there's tons of tools online that can teach people it will put you in a square perspective of how far behind or ahead you are on yep. saving yeah, and it's important you, you make the point of kind of comparing or seeing where you're at. It's important not to compare yourself necessarily to other people at your age. It's important to compare yourself to you. Yeah. So how does this year look to, uh, compared against next year? You know, how does this year look against previous year? And that's really what you want to be measuring. Am I making personal success? Am I making personal progress toward my goals? You know. Yeah. And I think that almost all these financial, personal finance websites will pretty much recommend a similar thing of you're not trying to beat the market, right. you're trying to match the market. If you're buying a home, it's about uh, you know making sure you're buying something that you can afford that you think is in a market that hopefully will be accruing. Like I live in Los Angeles. I don't know if it's a great idea to buy real estate in Los Angeles right now because it, the market is so inflated. It's such a bubble. And for a lot of people, if you're investing all your money into a home, you better make sure that there's a real good chance it's going upwards because as we saw in 2008, 2009, a lot of people over, overextended to get a home and then were $100,000, $200,000 de- you know, in debt and had to sell, yep. foreclose. Um, are there any um, products out there that are new, exciting that you recommend as we wrap up here? Well, that's a good question. Um, kind of caught me off guard there. <laughs> we have a FinTech competition at FinCon that's going to feature 10 new products and services uh, doing all kinds of cool things. Um, and when is uh, when is that this year? Uh, September 26th to 29th. Uh, 29th yeah. And that in is going to be in uh, Orlando. Orlando, nice. Yep. And we have what's called our community pass this year. So if you're not a blogger, podcaster, and you just want to come kind of hang out with the money community, uh, we have a special application for you on the website if you wanted to come check it out. And uh, so that anyone can attend this, not just people That's in right. personal finance. Yep. I might, uh, I might be- join you guys yeah, there. Yeah, please do. It's becoming the Comic-Con of money. So we'd love to have you. <laughs> are people, is there a cosplay? Like, can I dress up like Ramit Sadie? And, uh, There's a little bit. We, have, we, had, we, had, a, uh, we had a closing uh, party last, night, last year that was a costume party. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> uh, well, I'll make one endorsement. that I, A product I've really liked a lot of, um, is uh, You Need a Budget. Uh, YNAP, have you have you messed with that at all? Or? I have. They're an excellent product. It's a yes. it's a bit intense, but if you if you want to get started at, at budgeting, I think Mint is a good starting point, and then maybe YNAP if you want to go another level deeper into, um, you know, sort of really getting into the nitty gritty of, of making a budget. And again, they're all sort of speaking the same philosophy. I find Mint to be a little bit just telling me what's going wrong, <laughs> whereas YNAP is a little bit like, all right, let me try to like create a structure for myself sure um i've had to restart my budget on there a couple times now but uh yeah i love the zero based budgeting tools yeah because they they make you they put you in an abundance mindset right it's less about how how less can i spend and or where can i put my money to you know save whether it be savings or giving or these positive things so it's a it's a full safe a spending plan versus just a budget you know that's yeah what i like about it it's not just about constraint I right mean, if you want to set up a thousand dollars a month to go out to dinner that's your sure. prerogative if it, and if it all balances out at the end sure so all right so fincon anyone can attend yep. you'll be there I'll so be if you there. want to meet pt in person 
you'll be around at FinCon. And I'll be there, can, shaking hands, absolutely. They can ask you some follow-up questions. Please do, yes. Cool. All right, PT, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for a lot, having, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.